Dear listener and fellow story lover, this week's story is another opinion piece, one of which I don't agree with all the views contained within it, but nonetheless, it remains quite fascinating and provides some insight in the societal attitudes and practices of the time. I hope you enjoy this week's Stories from Before. When Elderly People Were in Fashion Written by an old-fashioned person Read by Selina Cadell by permission of the Lutterworth Press Music by Stacey Weir When I was a child, I was very saucy in my attitude to the homilies of my elders. Life seemed to me a luminous thing with rainbow possibilities at every turn in the road, and I couldn't see the use of so much preaching. Preparation for death seemed superfluous to me, who intended to live indefinitely. My attitude was like that of Charlotte Bronte's piquant little heroine Jane Eyre, when the minister asked her where wicked children go when they die. To hell, responded Jane gravely. Then what must you do to avoid going to hell? I must keep in good health and not die. Like Jane, I did not consider the necessity of reform so much as that of keeping my health and strength. We are very likely to presume upon our feeling for life and its joys, to declare that this world is good enough for us while the red blood of youth riots in our veins, forgetful of the stubborn truth that unless death kindly takes us off in the glow of our prime, there are many years before us in which, unless we have made preparation for them, we may be forced to admit, I have no pleasure in them. It is for these years, rather than for death, that all people should prepare. They should lay up treasure in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves cannot break in and steal, in heaven. Do you think that a vague phrase, too mystical, too fanciful for your concrete logic, your common-sense reasoning? If so, you are the one in whose mind the practical application of truth is lacking. Heaven is as much here as elsewhere, it being entirely a state of mind and being. I am for reinstating the elders to their posts of honour and authority, for having our teachers and preachers chosen from among the people past middle age, who have accumulated the wisdom of living and passed the half-century mark and without misanthropy. I am now humbly grateful for all the curbing, the forceful teaching and training given me by the older generation in my careless youth, for I now have need of every simple and homely accomplishment I learnt so reluctantly and for the habits of reading and thinking I was fairly forced to in my childhood. I remember when in the country in which I live, one of the most sensible, sane and honest men who ever lived said quietly, We must admit that the young men are in the saddle. There was just at that time a revolt against old stages. The popular argument was that it stood to reason that young men were better abreast of the times and hence more capable of conducting public affairs. We do not pause to consider just what it means to be abreast of the times. Are the times always the criterion of what we want or need? I am not by way of glorifying all things old as fixed principles. I do not pay my tribute to the elderly folk 
who haven't learned anything or forgotten anything. My special obeisance is made to the old people who have gleaned all new ideas that are worthwhile. For this too is a preparation for the evil days, when our feelings change utterly and we cannot longer depend upon the mere buoyancy of youth. There are many things discussed by the young people of today which far excel the wisdom of the elders. I heartily admire and commend the modern baby and the cleverness of the modern mother in her management of infancy. I cheerfully admit that I was ignorant and foolish in the early management of my children. I persistently overfed, overheated, overnursed and overcared for them. I rocked them and trotted them and poked food in their mouths every time they cried, which was often. I nearly killed myself and them by having them sleep in bed with me and by doing all sorts of unhealthful services for them and neglecting important ones in the name of tenderness and maternal devotion. Later, I am sure I did them a very ill turn by seeking for them the flowery happy paths, shielding them passionately from the realities of life. I took the hard bumps for them, and many a time, kneeling beside their little beds at night, I deliberately begged God to wreak life's vengeance upon me, to let me bear it all, if only they might go scot-free. I am not the only parent guilty of this supreme mistake during this last half-century of high living and poor thinking, during which we have put forth this effort, which has no groundwork of common sense, to place our children in the flowery paths of existence, forgetful that this world is, at the very best, a place of great trial and uncertainty, and that the most important thing is a preparation, not for joys and dissipations, but for meeting and bearing trials bravely and cheerfully. Not that the joys of life are to be belittled, or that we are to seek melancholy and gloom. Far from it, but that we should cultivate the things that will remain permanent real possessions to the end. We often deplore the fact that trouble has come to the young. This is not half so bad as for trouble to come to the old. Nothing bears trouble like youth. It is a mistaken kindness to shield a young person from the knowledge and experience of sorrow, of tragedy, of loss, of disappointment. Of course, it is worse than mistaken to shield him from work. In doing so, we are deliberately shutting him off from life's greatest privilege. Alas, that the young should be shielded from work and the elderly retired. Cheerful, properly distributed labour for all, young and old, is what the human race needs. As I said in the beginning, I was a flippant child, but with it all... I held in wholesome awe the counsels of my elders. Elderly people were the arbiters of society in my young days. They should be so still. If you ask me what is the matter with society today, why young people are seized with hypochondria of living, why they are bored and nothing seems worthwhile, I will tell you. And with truth, you cannot contradict me that it is the direct result of setting aside the judgments and counsels of the elderly. When house mothers forgot how to settle down, when they deserted the post of duty, flocking in gaily dressed crowds to the bridge table, 
the talky-talky function at which there are speeches which nobody can hear, or rushing about from one meeting to another, discussing public questions which never have been and never will be settled. They left the gap open, and the lambs got out and went roaming away on the mountains wild and bare. For boys and girls need the discipline and restraint of home, the firm teaching of old-fashioned religion. They need to be held to business, to be called to account, to be reminded daily and hourly of their need for accumulating material for old age, for laying up treasure where moth and rust will not corrupt. The habit of time-killing is one of the most vicious to which the present generation is addicted. The faster we kill time, the more we hasten the evil days in which we may say, I have no pleasure in them. The pleasure is all used up. Life is dead sea fruit. Beauty is turned to ashes. We must learn to love the quiet afternoon, the day on which nothing happens. We must study to compose ourselves with a book or a piece of needlework. This was the great good of the training our stern mothers gave us. Life is not a play. Settle down. How often in rebellious mood I did settle down to what I thought stupid and how glad I am now that I had to do it. Now since the excitement I once called joy is joy no longer. This is the thing the young cannot understand or believe in. The change in feelings and tastes that inevitably come with added years and for which the young old folk of today are so ill prepared. Do you remember the genial old people of your childhood with their dignity and calm, their seeming contentment in quiet days and ways and the little sparkle of fun always lurking behind their grave faces? What was their great and lasting charm? I can tell you. Long, long ago, they learned to cultivate the quiet joys of plain days and ways. They did not strive before all else to be society people, stranded on the dread sands of ennui and disillusion. They were not disappointed folk who thought life held for them and theirs some exceptional goal of achievement, but who found themselves broken and disarmed, just as they thought they had grasped success. They were people who held on steadily all the way along, never hitting the high places, but always bearing up to the gracious level of quiet and decent life. Slavishly following the fashions, seeking the looks and ways of youth, is not in reality keeping up with the times. I don't like people who are behind the times. I do not recommend a return to any antiquated way of doing things, any narrow way of looking at things. The most successful man I know in my home community is now in business at the age of 80 years. Long ago, he was worth enough money to retire, but he was not made of retiring stuff. Quietly, unostentatiously, graciously, honestly, he has pursued his business to the great admiration of all who know him. He never tried to cut a dash in the world, he was not an extreme follower of fashion, neither did he ever give way to those eccentricities and misanthropies that come with age to men of weaker minds. I call him more fully abreast of the times at 80 years than the great majority of men of 30 today. 
Many of his old ways of life, the quiet and the beauty and the thrift of them, he never changed. But where he saw an essential convenience and added comfort in what was new, he took it, and through it all has shown always and quenchless the luster of a real gentleman, a quality that has remained and will remain absolutely unchanged while the world stands. Let me tell you that the world is suffering now for men like this, for women like this, where, in the listless, non-progressive ranks of retired men, do you find example and percept like this? Alas for farms and places of business where the elderly men retire from them. Alas for homes where the elderly women cease their labours and move to boarding houses and residential hotels. Who stands so sturdily before us in our national life as an old statesman who hasn't lost his grip on his constituency? Who comes into our homes with as much reassurance and comfort as the old family physician? Whom can we go to with our perplexities so freely as to the aged minister? I tell you, people today are folk-sick, sick for the counsel, the reassurance, the authority of the elders. Those of us who are now past the half-century mark lack the training our parents had for old age, for citizenship, for social weight and authority. We are all suffering from the spirit of the age, which for 30 years has been advocating keeping young. Can we not reconstruct our ideas of being old folks? Put away the notion of resignation and retirement for the more energetic and profitable attitude of being forceful in our accumulated wisdom and experience, dignified in our judgments and of use in our world, rather than being set aside as debris by young people whom we have allowed to displace us in the saddle? Perhaps it is too late for those who have accepted the ridiculous idea of retirement at 50. But it is not too late to include in the education of children a definite preparation for the years in which our feeling for life is sure to change and we are certain of being obliged to hold fast to those pleasures and consolations which do not pertain to age. The End I hope you enjoyed this poignant and interesting opinion piece. Please subscribe to this podcast and share it with your friends and family. I hope you enjoy a lovely week and I look forward to being with you next week when I again share stories from before.